Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. So today we're going to be looking at anger. Um, We seem to live in an angry world. And I've entitled this talk, In Our Anger, Let Us Not Sin, but subtitled, Let's Get Rid of Our Anger Before It Kills Us or We Kill Somebody. We're going to be looking really at what, um, obviously what uh, Paul had to say, we're taking a passage out of Ephesians and looking at anger. Um, And whether you're wrestling with anger yourself, whether you're dealing with an angry spouse, teenager, or otherwise, or whether we're just walking around being Christ in the world around us, we're coming up against anger everywhere, I think. And I think it's, you know, my sense is um, that we are living in a seemingly uh, time when everyone seems to be on edge. You know, the Guardian newspaper did a whole Sunday supplement on anger sometime earlier this year. And one of the writers into one of the agony aunts says, I'm trying to understand why the world I live in seems to be increasingly an angry one. Whether it's drivers in cars, commuters on public transport, employees at utility companies, teachers at my children's school, everyone seems frazzled and ready for a fight. I feel it myself. I've got three teenage daughters. All they seem to do is sit on their phones, flounce around the house, dropping their dirty underwear as they go. I ask them to get off their phones. They treat me like I'm violating their human rights. They complain about being constantly exhausted, but all they have to do is keep up with their social life and attend school. The NAB does a quarterly survey of Australians and how we're feeling and etc. and well-being. Basically, it's a surrogate for them looking to see how stressed we are with our mortgages. But um, at the end of last year, you know, the, the quarterly survey was put out, and these were the four points there. 75% of Australians believe our society is becoming angrier and more aggressive. Drug and alcohol abuse, concerns about money and changing cultural values were cited as the main factors fueling this. So what does Jesus have to say about this? You know, <clears throat> today is the fifth talk, as one has said, and things that we don't talk about. Um, I, I feel very much that I, following on, building on what find by our past, we're defined by who we are in Christ Jesus. So I, I'm not going to spend today looking at anger management, helpful things to deal with anger. I'm going to be focused today and as I, as I share with you, I want us to be focused, I think what God's at, is actually Jesus is in the business of transformation. Personal transformation, societal transformation. He's not in the business of coping, coping mechanisms for anger, which largely seems to be burying it. Um, he's in the business of us being transformed. And so I pray now that he'd come by his Holy Spirit now, so that as we work through this, as God stirs up, as his word is open to us, that we will be transformed by what his word says around this subject so that we're equipped to deal, to deal with our own anger, anger in those around us, and anger in the society because we are the good news. We have to choose the gospel of peace with us. So let's look at our core text today. This is Ephesians um, chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 20, which is up there. Uh, 
and I apologize, uh, the, uh, this is the NIV, that I'm gonna use the NIV, the Amplified, a few different versions throughout this talk, but this is our core text for today from Ephesians 4. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And he goes on later and says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So the key thing there is verses 26 and 27, which we're going to unpack. It says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry. Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin, because anger actually is a fundamental nature and part of God. And we're going to unpack as to what godly anger and righteous anger looks like. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We can take each one of those and look at them, and then look at how do we then get rid of the bitterness and rage and anger and brawling. So uh, when Bonnie first approached me and said, um, I'd like you to speak on anger, I thought, oh, that's interesting. We're clearly going to be doing a series on you know, the seven deadly sins. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, the, the seven virtues that go alongside them. And so... Uh, Anger is known in the historical church as one of the seven deadly sins. And firstly, it's because the neutral act of anger becomes the sin of wrath when it's directed against an innocent person, when it's unduly strong or long-lasting, or when it desires excessive punishment. You know, we have a perception that anger is just wrong. So does, do, does, does, does God get angry? You know, so I thought, we, we're going to look at, does God get angry? What, what about Jesus and anger? What did Paul say as we go through this? So uh, Exodus 34, verse 5, which actually happened to me, my, wife, uh, my wife's verse that popped up on her phone this morning as she woke up. She didn't know this was in the talk, or she did, she'd forgotten perhaps because she hadn't seen it for a while. But let us remember that the Old Testament is packed full of God being angry, it's usually when he's at his wit's end, and he's angry about things that, that he's right to be angry about. But his nature is to be compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Godly anger is protective of right things and corrective of wrong things. Bad anger is self-destructive. N.T. Wright, who knows N.T. Wright, the sort of the uh, theologian? So, uh, he, he's, um, I'm just going to read this from him, which I think captures godly anger. The biblical doctrine of God's wrath is rooted in the doctrine of God as a good, wise, loving creator who hates 
Yes, hates and hates implacably, implacably anything that spoils, defaces, distorts or damages his beautiful creation. And in particular, anything that does that to his image-bearing creatures. If God does not hate racial prejudice, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not wrathful about child abuse, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from his creation in an act of proper wrath and judgment, the arrogance that allows people to exploit, bomb, bully, enslave one another, then he is neither good nor wise. If we're going to get angry, let's channel our anger into being angry about the things that God is angry about. Let's get up and do something about stuff that he cares about. I often wonder that we've suppressed our anger as Christians because we think it's wrong to be angry. That then when God puts something on our heart to get a bit riled about, that he's concerned about, we're sort of wrestling with, well, this, this feels all right. I don't know how to be angry in a constructive way. So did Jesus ever get angry? If you trawl through the Gospels, there are three passages that suggest, two that talk about instances where Jesus expressed an emotion or anger, and one when he was teaching about anger on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look, though, at Mark 3, the healing on the Sabbath, and read from Mark 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse him. So they watched him closely to see if if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He'd stretched it out, his hand was completely restored. Jesus' anger at the religious people of the day was not taken out on them. He took it out on the withered hand. He did good. He channeled his frustration into healing the man's hand. He didn't get frustrated at the religious leaders. He let the goodness of God demonstrate their folly to them. So how should we be angry? Is it right for Christians to be angry? Well, James is very wise. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He's warning us. You know, don't let's get, let's get, do not let us get this anger out of control. Aristotle captured it very well, many centuries before that. Anybody can be angry, that's the easy part. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, that's not within everybody's power. It's not that easy. It's not wrong to feel a righteous anger at circumstances around us of abuse, domestic violence, racism, sex trafficking, slavery, We need to channel our anger into positive and constructive action. If we're not sure where to begin, let's start with prayer and intercession. Anger should lead to righteous action. So going back to our passage in Ephesians, 
It's okay to be angry, but let's not sin. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, actually links murder and anger together. He says in Matthew 5, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And we'll come back and look more at that passage. Secondly, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And apologies to Charlie Mackesy, who I ripped off his little thing from Nicky Humble's book, um, <coughs> which I thought that was wonderful. Um, Paul is encouraging us to keep very short accounts. And, and what does that mean in practice? Basically, it means to forgive. Because at the root of us dealing with our anger usually starts with us forgiving somebody who we feel has done wrong to us. Doing it quickly. Don't let things brood and become an issue. Don't let things fester. It only makes it worse. Repressed anger is not dealt with. We can choose. It's a decision. We can choose to forgive. We may not feel like it, but it's a command. And why? Well, if we don't, we're giving the devil a foothold. Matty came to me before the service this morning and said, Ephesians 6, I've got his word from Ephesians 6 for the service today, about, you know, we are not. We need to take our stand against the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principalities, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces. It's a spiritual battle dealing with this, I think. And for some of us, it's a spiritual battle personally. But when we encounter rage around us, remember, it's a spiritual battle. And we're bringing the resources of heaven into these situations. So how then do we actually move on and get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every other form of malice. And Paul picks this up in Ephesians. There's the same passage and equivalent in Ephesians 4. You can read in Colossians 3. Um, Peter picks up this in 1 Peter 2. He says, therefore, get rid of yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, I don't think Jesus is in the anger management business. But I do think... He's in the transformation business. And that's where we have to... My prayer for us today is that that's what we're going to allow him to do. Rebecca de Young is a, a, I think a, a Catholic um, theologian, um, teaches a seminary in the States and has written a book called Glittering Vices, which is her look at unpacking the the seven deadly sins. But she says, as important as they are, the physical strategies for handling anger are for symptom control. They don't get to the source of the problem. And wrath as a vice is a heart and mind problem. Unlearning the habit of wrath requires a change of heart, a reordering of priorities, a transformation of our vision. So going back to our passage in Ephesians, what did Paul give us? What clues are there that he give us as to how we're to deal with this? Earlier on in the passage in Ephesians 4, we read through verses 22 and 24, and I'm going to read them again now in the Amplified, starting at verse 22. 
Regarding your previous way of life, put off your old self completely, discard your former nature, which being corrupted through which is being corrupted through deceitful desires. Be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Put on the new self that regenerated the renewed nature, created in God's image, godlike, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Uh, I, I did actually dig out my um, um, Bible Speaks Today book written by John Stott on Ephesians because I was thinking, what does it mean to be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind? Because this seems to be the, 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 the crux here. And I'm just going to read what Stott writes. The Ephesians have been taught by Paul that becoming a Christian involves a radical change, namely a conversion and recreation. It involves a repudiation of our former self, our fallen humanity, and the assumption of a new self, a recreated humanity. The old was corrupt and in the process of degenerating on its way to ruin and destruction. The new has been freshly created after a likeness of God. The old was dominated by lust, uncontrolled passions. The new has been created in righteousness and holiness. The lusts of the old were deceitful and righteousness of the new is true. Verse 23 then is the bridge between putting off the old and putting on the new. In between these contrasting portraits of the kind of person we put off and put on comes verse 23. To be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. This verb is a present infinitive. It indicates that in addition to the decisive rejection of the old and assumption of the new, implicit in conversion is a daily and indeed continuous inward renewal of our outlook as in being a Christian. If heathen degradation is due to the futility of our minds, then Christian righteousness depends on the constant renewing of our minds. So in practice, there are three things that Paul's asking us to do. The first is to put off our old self. This may involve confession, repentance, forgiveness, or deciding it's time to be baptized. The act of baptism is a very powerful and I'm not going to get distracted now, um, but it was wonderful to see the baptisms held not so long ago in the car park. It recalled my own baptism, um, which was a number of years after I become a Christian. Uh, probably 10 years after I become a Christian, I decided it was time to get baptized because I was still seemed to be struggling with stuff that kept couldn't just get away from. And I got baptized and... Um, it was at a Christian festival at Stonely in um, 1984 in, in the summer in the UK. And the, the pool was actually a skip. And, and actually, I couldn't think of a better image <laughs> of a thing to get baptised in. It was to go and leave where in the skip <laughs> and come out of there knowing that I was washed by the blood of the Lamb. So we put off our old self Step two, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Joyce Meyer writes, it's impossible to get from wrong behaviour to right behaviour without first changing our thoughts. A passive person may want to do the right thing, but he never will do so unless he purposely activates his mind and lines it up with God's word and will. If you desire to act differently, you'll have to start thinking differently because your behaviour starts with your thoughts. Wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions. Right thoughts lead to right actions. 
Again, Paul carries on this theme. We know in Romans 12, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And more challengingly in Corinthians 2.16, and this is your home group challenge, your life, sorry, life group challenge. It takes me a while to get up to this. Life group challenge. In 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul writes, but we have the mind of Christ. I think to myself, do I? What does that mean? Do I have the mind of Christ in all things, at all times? So... And finally, put on the new self. Well, what does that look like? Well, further on in Ephesians, we, 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 you know about putting on the full armour of God. Um, and I'm not going to read that now. Um, and likewise, you know, go back to Galatians. Be full of the Spirit and manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So in summary, where have we got to? What have we, what have we looked at today? Righteous anger does have its place. Let's learn to be angry at what God is angry at. In our own anger, let us not sin. Don't let the sun go down. Let's keep short accounts. Let's forgive those that have hurt us. Let's not wait till we feel like we've got the strength to do it, but let's just do it. Why? Because we don't want to give the devil a foothold. This is a spiritual battle. It's a stumbling block. Practically, in getting rid of our bitterness, rage, and anger, let's put off. We can do that. That's a physical thing we can do. Confess, repent, forgive, be baptized. Let's be transformed by the daily renewal of our minds. If we're not thinking like we think Christ might be thinking, let's be praying that our minds will be renewed. Let's put on the armor of God and manifest the fruit of the Spirit. You could say amen, but then we aren't in... (laughs) So I'm going to invite the worship team up back up. We're going to have some ministry. You can stand. Father, I pray now that you'd come by your Holy Spirit. I invite you, Lord, to come and do business with us, to have your way with us. Father, may we not hear your word and, may it, and let it return void to you. May we hear your word. May, Father, we be transformed by your word. Father, may each of us be renewed in our minds today. Whether we're dealing with anger personally, whether we're dealing with anger within our family, whether we're dealing with anger in the world around us, may we be equipped, Lord. Come now, Holy Spirit. Just wait on the Lord now as he's coming and brooding. Let's do business with him. Some of you may mean to take a positive action that might be coming forward and just saying, I want to deal with something. I want to deal with this today. I don't want to be carrying this around. We've been talking about starting conversations. I feel today God doesn't want to start a conversation. He wants to start a transformation in your life.
welcome you, Lord Jesus, more of you, more of your Holy Spirit. a sense uh, for some of us um, we would like Jesus to come and to actually disciple us in how to be angry and I just got a picture of Jesus coming and just sitting next to you next to each of us and turning and just beginning to talk about this is how I am angry this is what it looks like when I'm angry. And I want to teach you how to do that. How to hold that, how to control and to release the things that get us caught up in wrong kind of anger, cause us to sin in that. So we invite you, Lord, just come and sit next to us. Come and Walk with us. Lord, I pray right now that you would, you, as you minister your spirit, you would put on our hearts the things that you want us to get angry about. And we bring you those things that we know that <clears throat> we have no place carrying, that we need to put down. Just allow Jesus to come and, and minister this to you now. I think what Stephen was saying earlier about how, <clears throat> as a church, broadly we have often learnt just to suppress anger, but there is a place for it. So come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way. Come and stir us up in the right way. And if you sense the Lord stirring something up, just take a moment now just to pray into that. Just allow that stirring to turn into passion. Whether that's something you know, I, I, I want to get angry about this. This isn't right. Just bring that to the Lord now in this moment. For, the, for others, you may feel like the Lord's just putting your, his finger on that um, that tendency that you know you need to let go of. You need to allow him to transform. Let's just take a moment to do that. Bring it to the cross. Come and ask for his forgiveness. And let me invite you, if you'd like anyone to pray with you this morning, please do just head up the front. We'd love to pray with you. But whether you do or not, just allow him to minister to you in this moment. As folk come up, it'd be good just to be aware and make sure we're praying for people. But do, look guys, this is family business stuff. So if you know you need someone to pray for you, do come and head up to the front.